Today on Ag News Daily. If we look at the forward curve, in other words, from the November 2022 through the July 2023 soybean uh, market, it's far more bullish than even what we see in the deist July uh, corn. Why is that? Number one, we have record tight supply and demand. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored by Ag Explorer International today. Delaney Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff. Tanner, today is your first Market Monday episode. I'm very excited for you. It is. You pushed me back to the afternoon. This is uh, this is going to be fun to participate in one of these. Yes. How do you feel about the markets, Tanner? Well, I, I would say that I have a learning knowledge of the markets. You know, I know enough to uh, have conversations with my clients in the finance world, uh, but I certainly haven't had the exercise of calling the shots and marketing my own commodities to where I feel like some more hands-on experience would be necessary. So it'll be fun with me to learn right alongside maybe our listeners uh, as we do these Market Mondays. That is very good point. Very good point you make there. And I'm sure that this knowledge will probably help give you a little insider scoop as you are working with your ag customers as well. So I'll be curious to see your perspective as an ag lender and also a farmer. I think will be good. It'll bring some unique perspective to the table. I agree. But what uh, what are you seeing in the news today, Delaney? Well, I think I want to kick things off here, Tanner, with some updates on Russia-Ukraine stories, because we really certainly saw wheat prices kick into full gear today as Ukraine continues to limit supplies emerging from the Black Sea region. And I saw this tweet earlier today. I think it actually came out late last night, but Jerry Welch, which is not a person I was super familiar with. I started following him on Twitter. He looks like he is a broker guy out of Montana, Commodity Insights, his company. But I'd like to think he probably has some good insight into the Russia-Ukraine situation. And anyways, he shared an interesting tweet today. Yes, yesterday on Twitter saying that the war in Ukraine changed course over the weekend with Russia destroying export facilities in Odessa. And he's saying that it's going to take years to repair this damage. And he said he's not suggesting to clients to be short any ag market grain or livestock because he thought markets would open up pretty well today. And they certainly did. He called that that shot uh, pretty well this morning. But as we are kind of digesting some of that news with Russia destroying export facilities in Odessa, that is a really key area, Tanner, and certainly going to be one that we continue to watch because it is such a major exporter for the country. Yeah, that's not good news. And I, I hadn't thought about the time to repair factor in a lot of this, because if it is key infrastructure, which it sounds like, um, that is going to have an effect for a long time because I had caught an article related to how delayed the exports via rail were. You know, mm. I think we released that first part of last week um, that they thought it might get down to about 20 percent. But they are having troubles getting commodities out via rail at the pace in which they had projected. And that's only a short week of them learning how this is going to go. So if we're if we're seeing some major damages to infrastructure related to exports, um, it could hurt for a lot longer than what I first had imagined. Yes. And the other part of that is just uh, you can you can decide for yourself if you think that Russia is doing this on purpose. I fully believe that they are picking these key export areas on purpose and key agricultural areas on purpose. But in light of that, Russia said that they will increase old crop wheat exports just 400,000 metric tons 
due to switching from Ukraine to Russia. But the other thing is that, you know, as you look at a lot of countries, they have export sanctions on Russia, key players like the US, the EU and others, but some other countries such as India and China and some Middle Eastern countries haven't put sanctions on Russia. And so Russia is speculating that they will be fine with oil exports and grain exports because there are key players like those countries I just mentioned that will continue to do business with Russia. So it's certainly starting to kind of move pieces from here to there. And uh, we're definitely starting to see major shifts in who's buying from who. Yeah. And it'll be very clear to see where the lines are drawn as these agreements continue to unfold or sanctions are put in place uh, as far as alliances. But let's get back into the United States borders for the next piece of this, Delaney. We have been talking a lot about weather lately, and we really have just tipped the very top of the seeding opportunities for most of the ground. Uh, as we continue to see the wetness delaying the planting this spring and field work days, as farmers might be trying to get some nitrogen or groundwork to head of the planter, as of March 28th, pockets in the Eastern Midwest have very wet conditions over the 90th percentile. Those wet areas are Eastern Wisconsin, the lower peninsula of Michigan, South Central Illinois, Eastern Indiana, the Ohio Valley, and then further southwest conditions are in that 75 to 90 plus percentile. Virtually the entire delta has had much of this rain down through the mid-south. So uh, this is verified by ground level commentary, also supported by satellite calculations. But uh, you know, there was a lot of talks about drought and dry conditions in a portion of the U.S., but now we're flipping to some of this welcome rain is now potentially going to impact getting the American crop put in the ground. And the forecast, Delaney, at least here for central Iowa, still looks chilly and damp for the next 30 days. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, if you could draw a line in the sand, there really would be a pretty clear divide in folks in the West and Southern Plains still having really dry conditions. And then folks, like you said, there in the Eastern Corn Belt having really wet conditions. So certainly an interesting mix of different issues there as folks are getting the planters rolling here very shortly, Tanner. Yeah, I would say locally in Iowa, the, way, the rain is welcomed. We're still mm -hmm. early in our season. I think there's more concern for cool temperatures than the wetness, but this rolls right into the article that the Farmer's Almanac released. Of course, that is one of the most trustworthy forecasting platforms as we've got put together. And they are stating that uh, in the long range weather forecast, this is gonna be one of the hottest summers on record with a vast majority of the Corn Belt and Southern region having an abnormally hot mid to late July. So we may start off cool and damp this spring, but according to the Farmer's Almanac, it's going to be a toasty summer. Yes. And I think that would correlate pretty well in line with what folks are suggesting here with a La Nina hot and dry weather pattern. But a unwelcomed piece of news that we got late last week heading into the weekend was Secretary Vilsack saying they will not be allowing 
conservation CRP acres to convert into farmable acres this year. Because as we talked about last week on the podcast, quite a few folks had sent or signed a letter to Secretary Vilsack asking for some potential land in the CRP program to be put back into production due to the potential food security crisis risk that Ukraine poses. And he wrote back to a letter to the National Grain and Feed Association that essentially converting this land to crop production is unfeasible and that it would overlook the negative consequences of increased erosion and reduced water quality, wildlife habitat reduction, and decreased carbon sequestration and storage. So he said the other part of this puzzle is that a lot of the acres in CRP are not highly productive ground and wouldn't probably do a whole lot to move the needle either way. But we now do have a full concrete answer from Secretary Vilsack saying that is not going to happen for this year. So a lot of folks weren't very happy by this, uh, including folks on the ag ranking members such as John Boozman. But nonetheless, Vilsack has issued his decision, Tanner. That's interesting. And, and I I spent a little bit of time this winter getting to understand that CRP program a little bit mm-hmm. better and its origins. And they stem back to the 1980s. There's a fantastic podcast out there called AEI Presents, which is co-hosted by economist David Woodmar, that I think would be interesting for listeners who disagree with Bill Sachs ruling on not taking those um, acres out of CRP and allowing them to be farmed because you'll get a a really good picture as to the reason behind government programs as it relates to managing supply and demand. So it'll be interesting to track if Bill Sachs sticks with his decision or if that evolves as things in Russia and Ukraine continue to evolve. Um, It's a very very key piece of a whole suite of products that kind of allows us to maintain a steady market for lack of better terms, steady should probably be put in air quotes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt there, Tanner. Some more bad news that came out over the weekend was the bird flu in Iowa, at least, continues to expand. There was two more flocks were uh, hit and birds had to be euthanized. The state of agriculture from Iowa said on Sunday that the outbreak began a month ago here in Iowa, millions of fowl have been killed since then. The latest two cases came in a commercial turkey flock in Sac County and Humboldt County, Iowa. So turkey and chickens. Um, originally, obviously, as we know, the bird flu was found in wildlife, but now we're seeing them hit substantial sized commercial flocks. Absolutely. And another piece of news to that story is the U.S. Department of Agriculture said that they are looking into vaccines as an option to try and protect poultry against avian influenza. The agency's chief veterinarian officer said that as the country faces, it's now calling it its worst outbreak since 2015. They said they are putting a lot of dollars and time behind some sort of poultry vaccination. And Apparently, this current outbreak has wiped out about 22 million chickens and turkeys in commercial flocks. And that's the key here since February, which I hadn't realized that number had gotten that large, Tanner. Yeah, that snuck up on me as well. Um, That's that's alarming because we know we know the impact this had on our market the last time it went through. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't get that big again. Yeah, and I would have to double check the number. I don't remember how what the death toll was back in 2015, but I'm sure I can find that here very quickly. 
Well, while you're doing that, the last article that I have to share with is uh, a little bit comical, but it di- dictates how resourceful Americans are. Mexico is suspending their gasoline subsidy as Americans have been crossing the border into Mexico for their fuel deals. So Mexico, which has been subsidizing their gasoline to soften the price hikes to their nation, announced on Saturday that for the dates April 2nd through the 8th, all cities along the border, especially those that have high traffic, uh, will no longer get the fuel price subsidy, and those markets will no longer be uh, more enticing to Americans crossing the border. Gasoline prices are obviously higher in the United States, said the Finance Ministry of Mexico, and that is why they're crossing the border to stock up. Mexico's subsidy has been championed by the government's president, Andreas Manuel Lupez, who has long promised to insulate consumers from sharp price hikes at the pump. But quite an interesting way, and I don't blame them, if that is a national subsidy for uh, those native to Mexico, I wouldn't want to share it with Americans crossing the border either. Well, and, you know, we keep talking about the White House saying they're going to release some stocks from the strategic reserves. I wouldn't be surprised. It sounds like if other countries are going to continue to follow suit and do that as well, Tanner. And yeah, will the U.S. allow foreigners to use those strategic reserves that we're releasing is also a good question. Well, certainly. But I tell you what, I looked up that uh, death toll here from 2014 and 2015. And so between December 2014 and June 2015, when we had the last batch of avian influenza, that led to about 50 million turkeys and chickens uh, euthanized during that time. So it does sound like we're largely on track to probably being on that same footprint, Tanner. That is unfortunate. I was really hoping uh, we were not, um, but you know, facts don't lie. And that's, that's too bad for us to be put in a situation as such. It certainly is, Tanner. But I tell you what, before I get to my last piece of news here today, I wanted to remind folks that we are sponsored by Ag Explore. We all know it's vital to have crop nutrients in the right source at the right rate and at the right time and in the right place to improve ROI and yield. The team at Ag Explore also understands it's vital to have the right technology. They call it the fifth R of nutrient stewardship. Ag Explorer technologies and products are designed to enhance your yields, therefore maximizing your investment. If you want to know more, reach out by visiting agexplore.com. That's A-G-X-P-L-O-R-E.com. And Tanner, as we wrap up news today, I just wanted to make a quick mention here that really markets moving forward are continuing to watch really two key things as we're chatting with Darren Newsom here coming up in just a moment. Well, I guess maybe three key things and Darren will, I'm sure have his own take on this as well, but I would say largely they're continuing to watch obviously Russia, Ukraine, weather here in the United States, but also strength of the U.S. dollar compared to other currencies here worldwide. And it sounds like those are going to be some of the three main drivers for commodity markets Uh, moving forward. But with that, Tanner, I am pretty much all out of news other than looking at where markets wrapped up for today. What do you say? Let's do it. Fantastic. Well, since today is is Market Monday, we are going to chat through markets here with Darren Newsom coming up in just a moment. But in the meantime, May corn today closed up 15 and a half cents to end at 7.50 and a half. The Dece up 10 and a half cents, closing the day at a new contract high, 6.98 and a half. 
Soybeans today added 19 cents in the May contract as they close at 1601 and three quarters. November up 32 and a half cents, settling at 1439 and a quarter. Chicago wheat added strength today as well, leading the way for other grains really as the May contract added 27 and a half cents to close at 1012. The July up 27 and a half cents to close at 10, 11 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we saw weakness as the April, excuse me, as the June live cattle contract shed 92 and a half cents, closing the day at 134.92. The August shed 70 cents to close at 136.20. Feeder cattle today also showed significant weakness as the May contract shed $3.65 to close at $162.47. The August down $2.25 to close at $174.10. And in lean hogs today, that weakness continued. May shedding $3.87.5 to close at $109.30. The June down the limit to close at $116.15. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. May today down $0.54 cents to close at $24. 401, the June down 52 to close at 2383. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom as soon as we hear one more quick message from our sponsors for today. So what makes Ag Explore different? Well, they are innovators bringing together talent, global resources, and the industry to face critical farming needs head on. AgX is an industry leader developing field-proven, cutting-edge technologies that are revolutionizing farming. They learn continuously because they know current knowledge is never good enough, forging ahead always with technology-driven products to enhance yields and maximize investments. Ag Explorer is the farmer's champion. Want to know more? Reach out by visiting agexplorer.com. That is A-G-X-P-L-O-R-E.com. Well, folks, we are chatting today with Darren Newsom of DNA Analysis. Darren, very excited to have you on the podcast today as we talk about markets here moving forward. And I got to ask, you know, you get a lot of slack for being the realist, the guy who always tells it how it is. And, you know, when we've been talking to you in the past, over the past couple of months, you've been fairly bullish, the grain markets. Here we are, April 4th. you know, heading into planting season, are you still bullish to grain markets? I am. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, you and I have conversed over the years. And for a long time, I was Mr. Dark Cloud, you know, I was always bearish. Uh, But now I, I do have a more bearish outlook on these markets. It's not necessarily me that has changed. Uh, I'm mellowed with age. But it's what the market's telling me. And that's what it's always been about. Uh, The market tells us whether or not to be bullish or bearish. And I know folks who are absolutely always bullish. It doesn't matter what the markets are telling us. So they're they're going to be bullish and they're going to be saying, you know, soybeans, 30, 40, $50 or whatever it is, corn, eight, 10, 12, whatever. Uh, And then on the other hand, over the years and decades that I've, I've been able to do this, there's been folks who are always bearish. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what, again, what real supply and demand is or what the flow of money in or out of market is, they're just going to be bearish. I always prefer just to let the market tell me whether or not it's time to be bullish, time to be bearish, and then just relate that to to folks as best I can. You know, Delaney, I find that interesting as uh, I'm excited to start being a part of these Market Monday conversations and reflecting on 
the industry that I have my career in as a banker. And I would say, uh, if you were to categorize the bankers, I'd say we are always bearish, or at least in the side of wanting to protect the downside risk, which might give a bearish tint to that. So it's interesting, Darren, to get your perspective on that. Yeah, you know, there we always have to, you know, we have to position ourselves how the markets tell us to do it. I mean, the market knows best, and so I mean, if it's saying to be cautious, don't don't overload on selling, don't be you know, don't be, you know, super bearish in, in such a situation. We can, we can let these markets run a little bit, maybe have some put options rather than, than sale, uh, you know, leave the top side open. And, you know, every market every year has a different situation. And, and you know, we, we have to take it for what it is. It's not a one size fits all. Again, I've known people on both sides. It's one size fits all. It's always bullish. It's always bearish. But the markets change. They ebb and flow. The money moves around. The, the idea of supply and demand is always changing, and we never know what that next piece of news is going to be. And it just so happens that for now, and basically for the last you know year, year and a half, we've seen incredibly bullish situations. Well, okay, so what? So what's developed out of all this? An inflationary cycle. Because it's not just in grains and oil seeds. It's in, it's in energy. It's in metals. It's in softs. It's it's everywhere you look except livestock. So we have to take take each market separately with what they're showing us, and work with that. Work with work with what we know, and what we know is is what the market's showing us. It's interesting today too, Darren, to look at what the grain markets are showing us because especially I want to talk here. New crop corn has hit some new hit a new contract high today. And that certainly feels supportive for the market. We're really starting to see that spread between old crop and new crop tighten up here. What what was today's reason for seeing that uh, new contract high put in, though? Well, we're we're past last week's silliness. Um, you know, we we got past March 31st and everything, all the stupidity that that tends to bring with it. And then, you know, good old April Fool's Day right after. And then we had a weekend. We had a weekend to think about everything. And now we're actually in April. We're actually, you know, planting season is is here now. Uh, I've talked to some folks in the far southeast. They're already running, you know, some planting season's here. It's all about the weather. And so now we have to watch weather. We have to look at soil moisture. We have to look at these sorts of things. And we, again, if we if we look at where, you know, the, the biggest part of the, the fundamental bullishness is it's in that new crop. I mean, the, the new crop is, is really bullish right now because of all of the unknowns. We don't know what acres are going to be. We don't know what the fertilizer situation is going to be. We don't know how weather is going to play out. We do know that we have incredibly tight supplies coming out of the old crop, 2021, 2022, and into new crop. That's not going to change. In fact, it's only going to get tighter. So we have very little wiggle room in the new crop uh, for any sort of, of weather problems. That's where the bullishness comes from. That's where, you know, December was able to post a new high, oddly enough, just right above $7. And then it backed off a little bit. But both, both markets, old crop and new crop, still fundamentally bullish. It's just we, ha- we know the variables in the old crop market and the new crop filled with unknowns. So, Darren, is that going to be the same story in the soybeans? It kind of gives like an opposite approach when I look at it. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually more bullish in the new crop market uh, for soybeans. 
number one, you know, if we look at the future spreads, which is what tell us what tells us what real fundamentals are. And there's a lot of nonsense out there, people talking about fundamentals, but the real fundamentals can be shown to us in what the future spreads are saying. And if we look at the forward curve, in other words, from the November 2022 through the July 2023 soybean uh, market, it's far more bullish than even what we see in the DEEST July uh, corn. Why is that? Number one, we have record tight supply and demand. And again, I, I, could care, I couldn't care less uh, about what last week's numbers shown. They were completely wrong. Uh, we'll find that out at a later date. Um, but we have, an, we have a record tight old crop uh, soybean supply and, uh, supply and demand situation here in the United States. And so again, we have very limited buffer for any types of problems this uh, this coming marketing and this coming crop year. Could we see more soybean acres? Absolutely. And we've known that for quite some time because of all of the unknowns with, with corn that we've talked about before. So we could see more acres, but what the commercial side is telling us, what the future spreads are telling us is it doesn't matter. Production doesn't matter. Acreage don't matter. Acres don't matter. Yield doesn't matter. It's not going to be enough. Unless something dramatically changes on the demand side, production in 2022 just isn't going to be enough. And we're going to be facing another marketing year of extremely tight supply and demand. Darren, and I know the other, obviously, indicator of supply and demand at a local level is the basis, which is something you mm -hmm. track very heavily. How has basis mm -hmm. in corn and soybeans been doing as of late? And how has it compared to other years prior? Well, I tell you what, if, if someone didn't have a drinking problem before the last couple of weeks uh, trying to study basis, they certainly <laughs> have one now. Uh, basis has been a nightmare. And not that it's falling apart, but merchandisers protected themselves. And, and merchandisers have a few defensive tactics that they can take when, you know, when we see these, when we see the non-commercial side of the funds just go crazy in markets like we've, we've seen over the last month or so. Um, and so what happened was, number one, they either just collapsed their bid versus the, the March contract, excuse me, the May contract, or they pulled their bids completely, or they rolled out early to the July. So all of our reads on national average basis got blown up all at the same time, corn, soybeans, wheat, you know, the three different wheat markets. And there was no good way of telling, you know, I, I, you couldn't just sit there and say, okay, we got... 30 under basis or 10 over basis or what, because it was a mix. You don't know if they were off the May, off the July, off of whatever they might, some might have rolled out to September. It's just impossible to tell. So we actually had to set basis analysis aside and just look at the cash market. Just look at the cash price. Cash price was high. Okay. And then yes, its relationship to the futures market did get skewed. But I think we're going to work that out, you know, as we make our way through April here and we're going to see more reliance, more, more cash prices just based on the July. I think we're going to start to get a better picture. And when all is said and done, the dust clears and we start to settle this thing down, we're still going to be looking at a bullish basis market because demand, has, demand hasn't gone away and we haven't created new old crop supplies. It's still going to be a tight old crop uh, supply and demand situation, and that's going to help support bases as we move into the spring and summer. So you touched a little bit on the wheat side, Darren. Delaney and I have, I feel like, reported almost every single day a little bit of updates from Russia and Ukraine. But how are you seeing that affect wheat? Because I've had a couple of short conversations with farmers in areas that don't typically grow, 
and they're looking for resources to find out if it's an option for them to plant some spring wheat this year. So what do you see? You know, number one, what I see is some absolutely horrific uh, images and videos coming out this past weekend. And, you know, those of us who are old enough to have seen pictures of war before, um, not having actually participated in one, but seen pictures, you know, these aren't completely stunning, but it's still bothersome to see. And the big picture is, yeah, this isn't going to be solved soon. It's not, it might not be solved in 2022, might be pushed into 2023 and beyond. So what that tells me is the world is going to have to adjust. The global export game is going to have to change and they can't be so reliant on, you know, black seaports uh, out of Russia and, and Ukraine. It's going to have to find other avenues, other, other sellers of corn and wheat, uh, particularly the winter wheat markets. And what we've seen so far, and I think that had some of what we, what we watched today, uh, in the corn market on, on Monday to start the week. But wheat's been very slow. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of base with movement. We haven't seen a lot of export sales uh, being made. A lot of shipments still relatively slow in the wheat market. But I think there's another reason for that. I think in time, those sales will come to the U.S. But right now, just like everything else, we have very tight supplies. You know, we have we have spring wheat that just got hammered by weather last year. And so uh, with the hard red spring having very low supplies, we saw merchandisers buying up hard red winter supplies uh, to blend with their hard red spring to extend those supplies as best they can. And so we used up both of those. Soft red winter, we've been planting fewer acres uh, for most of you know last decade or so, it seems. So we didn't have an abundance of softwood winter wheat available as well. And so now, you know, we're coming up on the end of the marketing year. Uh, everyone's hoping that this next round of winter wheat uh, will start to refill some of the uh, pipelines here in the United States, start to rebuild the supplies. And once that happens, we might start, we, we could start to see some export business coming U.S. It's very political in the wheat market, uh, but we could start to see some more exports coming the U.S. way. Is spring wheat high enough to buy acres away? from corn and soybeans. One could make the argument, yes. And it comes down to a moisture thing again. I mean, yes, it, it's still incredibly dry across the Northern Plains, uh, particularly you get over to Montana. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a bad situation over there. Certainly won't support you know, dry land corn or soybeans for very long. Possibly put some wheat out there, see if it can produce something. So we're not expected to produce overwhelming supplies of wheat. Again, forward curves are inverted. Uh, so the market's telling us we're still going to be short, but we could see we could see some more acres try to go in up in the Northern Plains, particularly in the spring wheat market. Certainly going to be interesting to see that acreage shift that we could still potentially see this late in the season. Darren, I know you're talking about a lot of these interesting things we've been talking about today in your analysis and your content that you kick out to folks. If they want to connect with you, read what you're writing, where can they find you? Easiest way is just to go to DarrenNewsom.com and go to the menu and, and click on services. And you can sign up for a seven-day free trial. And there you can find out all the things that we talk about and find out much of what we don't talk about. Uh, we just uh, don't spend much time uh, wasting time. So uh, just go to DarrenNewsom.com and, and you can see everything that we do post analysis and commentary. Fantastic. Well, Darren, certainly appreciate you hopping on with us again today. 
Well, I always appreciate you having me on, Dwayne. That was a great first market Monday for me in a conversation with Darren Newsom. Delaney, I appreciate you allowing me to participate in these. And I look forward to learning more as we approach each Monday with the same type of analysis. Well, you know, it's interesting, Tanner. The markets are such a large part of how farmers make money or in some instances lose money. But I think it's a an area that can always use improvement. I'm certainly always learning new things on these Market Monday conversations. So hopefully our listeners are too, and you can bring a fresh set of eyes and ears to those conversations. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm also looking forward to the rest of the conversations we've got planned for this week. It looks like it should be exciting. It's going to provide a lot of new opportunities to learn about some pretty cool stuff coming up in the agricultural world. We certainly have a good interview set slated for this week, folks. So do stay tuned and follow along with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at Ag News Daily. And Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.